Hello, my name is Ruth Lehman. I'm a professor at NYU School of Medicine, and I'm also a Howard Hughes Medical Institute investigator. This is part two of telling you about the germline. In this part, I will focus on how germ cells, which make egg and sperm, become so different from the soma, which makes the rest of the body. So let's look at this question. In the Drosophila embryo, at the very early stages, cells have to make a decision whether to make soma, which is the whole embryo, pretty much, and then how to set aside a few cells which will make the germline. And those few cells will be able to, through egg and sperm, give rise to a whole new generation. So what I want to tell you in this episode is how do germ cells actually form? Because in flies, there is a very specific way how they form. So the difference between soma and germline are so great that even the cells of the body of the fly and the cells of the germline of the fly form by completely different mechanisms. And then I will tell you how these future germ cells are making sure that they don't become somatic cells and they don't share the eventual deadly fate of the germline, of the soma. So, um, we're talking about germline-soma distinction, and the germline is set aside in Drosophila, as I explained in part one, by germplasm, which is maternally synthesized and deposited in the egg. And then what happens during the early stages of development is nuclei divide, so there are no cells yet formed, and then these nuclei move out to the uh, surface of the uh, egg, or zygote, at that point. And then um, those nuclei, which migrate into the germplasm, become specialized as germ cells, and they will be surrounded by cells at that time and form the primordial germ cells. Then there are another four synchronous divisions of nuclei, and at that point, the somatic cells are formed. So the germline, including the formation of the germ cells, is solely dependent on these maternal transcripts. Indeed, you can inhibit transcription completely in the early embryo, and germ cells will still form. On the other hand, the soma requires new somatic transcription. And that means the embryo has to transcribe genes to allow the serization event of the soma to occur. So there are two separate genetic pathways which regulate these two fates of cells. And so the maternal transcripts will lead to the formation of these cells at the posterior pole, which also sometimes are referred to as pole cells. And there are two genes that I will be talking about uh, today, germ cellus and uh, polar granule component, which play an important role in setting um, the um, uh, germ cell apart. And if you have listened to part one, these are two of the localized uh, RNAs that I was talking about in part one. The soma is formed by the ingression of cell membranes uh, in between uh, the nuclei that have moved to the surface. And there are a number 
of transcripts which are synthesized by and expressed by the zygote, by the embryo, that are absolutely necessary for this uh, ingression of the membranes and the formation of the soma at a later stage. And um, this is sort of an interesting uh, story in trying to observe a process that is happening. And uh, this was done by Ryan Sinali using two-photon microscopy. And Ryan was showing us this movie during group meeting, and I want you to get sort of the feeling of trying to understand what is happening when you're watching a movie. And so what you see here is um, there is an opening, which is an opening of the cells which have... or the nuclei have migrated into the cytoplasm. There is a bud, and this opening is where the embryo is going to... the rest of the embryo is going to be. And uh, then the germ cells will be forming um, over there. But that is only one of the constrictions which are occurring. When you see the movie, you will also see a constriction which is orthogonal, which is an anaphase constriction, which leads to cell division. So now I'm going to show you the movie. So here you see the constriction and then the anaphase furrow. Let me describe this process in a still. So we're having the bud neck furrow, which separates the germ cell, future germ cell, from the rest of the embryo. And then we have an anaphase furrow, which leads to the division of the cell. So as a result, we have from one bud, two primordial germ cells formed. And now I'm going to run the movie again. So now you can see um, the bud neck cystics and the anaphase. So two orthogonal furrows creating two primordial germ cells. So how does this happen? So there's independent control of these two furrows. And the way we figured this out was by inhibiting the anaphase furrow. So this is the normal constriction which occurs uh, at uh, mitosis. And it can be inhibited because if you inhibit uh, microtubules and you inhibit the spindle apparatus, then this constriction does not occur. And what you can see here is uh, this is just the control where we have a normal uh, cell formed. But in the, when we inhibited the um, uh, anaphase constriction, we make now two nuclei because they're in the same cell. But what you can also see, we still have a bud neck constriction, just like in the control. So that means this process only affected one of the two aspects. And so microtubules are apparently not required for the bud neck constriction. On the other hand, a mutant that had been identified many years ago called germ cellus just specifically affects the bud neck constriction and not the anaphase constriction. And so here's the control again. You have the anaphase constriction starting. And we're watching this all by looking at anilin GFP, um, which helps us to see these furrows. And then we have the bud neck constricting and the anaphase furrow coming down. And then in germ cellless mutants, the anaphase furrow still comes down perfectly fine, but there's no bud neck constriction. And indeed, um, Ryan could show that the amount of germ cellless was directly proportional to how much that second furrow formed. These types of cytokinesis-independent constrictions are not reserved just for making the germ cells in Drosophila, but they have been observed in other contexts. So, for example, as a mechanism of polar lobe formation, where um, certain uh, determinants for development of uh, ileonasa and other mollusks are 
temporarily separated from the rest of the embryo, or in C. elegans, where the primordial germ cells form a lobe, which then is eaten by the endoderm, or also um, during the asymmetric division of neuroblasts in Drosophila. So, um, possibly uh, there are uh, more of these examples. We do not know if they're all based on the same molecular mechanism, which I will be telling you about next. So, um, what I will be uh, focusing on now is to tell you about how germ cell is, is blocking somatic signaling pathway by degradation and thereby allowing this furrow to uh, happen and to close. Uh, and then I will also tell you about polar granule component, another one of these localized RNAs, which blocks the transcription in the germ cells. So let's focus with germ cellulose. As I mentioned earlier, um, germ cellulose was identified quite a few years ago, and it was identified as a localized RNA, where the RNA is localized at the posterior pole. It's then translated into a protein, and this protein beautifully decorates the inner uh, nuclear membrane. The phenotype of germ cell is mutants, and keep in mind, these are maternal effect mutations. So, the mother provided the germ cell as uh, RNA. So, when I talk about a mutant embryo, I mean an embryo which came from a mutant mother. And so, embryo which comes from a mutant mother, which lacks completely the germ cell as protein, most of the cases forms no germ cells. In some cases, they form a few cells. And we can quantify this here by counting, actually, the primordial germ cells per embryo. And again, you can here much more quantitatively see, um, like, there are a large number of embryos which have no germ cells. So, what is the mechanism by which germ cellulose promotes this spindle-independent constriction? And this brings us to the sequence of germ cellulose and also to the biochemical and functional analysis of germ cellulose, and also to another graduate student in my lab, Julie Pei, who at this point um, ran a half marathon at the beginning of her PhD. Now she just uh, received her degree and has also run a full marathon. So the marathon here is really to understand how this protein acts. Um, germ cellulose is a BTB back protein, and it has a few other domains which I will tell you about. So, what are BTB back domain proteins? They're quite common in humans and in Drosophila, and they are often associated with cullens, and cullens are involved in degradation. And let me explain um, what cullens do. This is one type of cullen where a BTB domain protein interacts with cullen 3, and then cullen 3 um, brings ubiquitin uh, to a substrate, and that can then lead to the degradation or the labeling and marking of that substrate. And the BTB domain protein, in this case, leads... Uh, acts as an adapter for that uh, substrate. And so, degradation is a real fast mechanism, and this is used for many different processes, uh, from development to signaling cell growth. Uh, and so, uh, this is an important uh, process, the degradation of proteins uh, uh, during um, development and uh, dif differentiation. And so, um, the question then is, if we say germ cells would act as a cullen 3 substrate adapter, then we have to ask the question, does germ cells actually interact with cullen 3, and who is the substrate? And so, the first question um, was answered uh, by two ways. 
Uh, and here, it was pretty wonderful because we had identified this uh, specific allele of germ cells which had a mutant smack in the BTB domain. And that mutation in interferes with the interaction with Cullen. Here you can see in, uh, uh, in IP uh, and then a Western blot, immunoprecipitation followed by Western blot. Here is the interaction between germ cells and Cullen 3, and then in the mutation, it is inhibited. And functionally, we can also show that this is uh, causing a germ cell defect because there is, it behaves just like the mutant, no germ cells form or very few germ cells form. So this suggests that uh, germ cell is, is indeed adapting to Cullen 3. So that was a really important first step. But of course, what we really wanted to know, we wanted to know how germ cell is, does it. And so I'm um, getting to the substrate. So what is the substrate? Uh, and so, um, what we, we used this mutation, which interrupts the Cullen 3 interaction, um, to be more easily getting towards the substrate because the substrate will not, now not be degraded, but still interact with germ cells. And so, Dewey identified torso as the substrate for germ cells, or at that point, as a substrate for germ cells. And so, again, we could show mutations in the germ cellist domain of germ cellist were important uh, for the interaction with torso. What is torso? Torso is a receptor tyrosine kinase, and it was identified on the basis of its effect on patterning, somatic patterning of the embryo. And it actually patterns the very anterior head part and the very terminal part. And this receptor tyrosine kinase is specifically activated at the embryo's front and back. And you can see at the back, it is activated right next where the germ cells are. So it, this receptor tyrosine kinase acts through the um, normal recept known receptor tyrosine kinase pathway, and we can actually visualize the activity at the two ends um, by looking at a particular phosphorylation outcome, which is requiring MAP kinase activity. And you can see how it's active at these two ends. And that then leads to transcription at the ends of the embryo. And so um, these are the regions right next. And these are the somatic signals, for example, who set aside the hindgut of the embryo right next to the germ cells. So, we could now logically think if torso was actually the um, primary target of germ cells, and that was really needed for germ cell formation, then we would imagine if we don't have germ cells, then torso is active, and that would be inhibiting primordial germ cell formation. However, if we now also deleted torso, germ cell formation, should be restored. And indeed, that's the case. So here's the single germ cell is mutant with no or very few germ cells. And here is the double mutant, which now has germ cells restored. Interestingly, for those who are thinking about the first part about the formation, that tells us that germ cells is not directly required for that constriction. And that's actually something we still have to figure out. So another conundrum. I told you that germ cells was at the nuclear membrane. But receptor tyrosine kinases are at the cell membrane. So that's a conundrum. But somehow that conundrum was kind of um, a little clearer to us 
when we realized that there was a nuclear localization signal and a mirror stellation domain. The nuclear localization signal would get germ cells into the nucleus, but the mirror stellation signal could also potentially get it to the membrane. And I won't go through all the mutants, but what I will tell you is that uh, Jewey found that germ cells and torso do actually meet at some point, and that is when the nuclear envelope breaks down during mitosis. And now, torso and germ cells are at the cell membrane together. And remember that germ cell formation occurs during a mitosis. So what we have learned now is that um, germ cells is a ubiquitin part of the ubiquitin ligase complex and is an adapter protein which um, uses torso as uh, its substrate, and so germ cell is leads to the degradation of torso, and then unrestricted torso can interfere with the PGC formation. However, we do also know that that is MEP kinase and transcription independent, and so now we're trying to find out what is the mechanism of uh, this uh, action of this receptor tyrosine kinase for germ cell formation. And so, on the other hand, what this also reveals to us is um, the struggle between somatic and germline signaling where we have in the soma, we have this whole MAP kinase pathway which leads to transcriptional activation. And then on the germline part, we're degrading the receptor tyrosine kinase so that that signaling pathway cannot occur. This is not the only place where soma germline uh, distinctions require degradation. Uh, indeed, in C. elegans, it's been shown that uh, another Cullen 2, linking through a Cullen 2, another degradation process, leads to the degradation of the somatic proteins, maternal proteins which are in the soma uh, or in the future soma. They are degraded. Um, but they're not degraded in the germ cell. So here's the distinction where the, the, the degradation machinery actually acts in the somatic tissues to uh, get rid of the maternal proteins. And in the absence um, of this uh, adapter protein, ZIF1, um, now uh, these maternal proteins persist in the somatic tissues. So, uh, I've told you about germ cells, which is one mechanism by just degrading the maternal uh, uh, products which could interfere uh, with uh, germ cell development because they promote somatic signaling. And now I'm going to talk about another mechanism, um, which is, you could say, almost more brute force, and that is to turn off all transcription. So, no new transcription. So then, obviously, anything which could promote somatic development um, will be uh, blocked. And so, um, here I'm showing you one of these RNAs that I talked about earlier that are absolutely essential um, for the sarization of the soma uh, in, of the embryo. This is a newly transcribed um, uh, RNA which is made by the embryo. And if we go closer in, you can see how um, the RNA is uh, transcribed in the soma, but absolutely not in the germ cells. And so, what we know, there's a big distinction at that time between those two cells. So, what we're seeing here in uh, red is the activity of polymerase II at this stage. And what you can see is that polymerase II is active in making transcripts in the soma, 
but it is not present. You can see those empty nuclei here. Uh, it is not present in the germline. So how is this achieved? It is achieved by a gene called polar-granule component because it was initially found as an RNA which localized uh, to the granules. And so in, 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 in PGC mutants, and again, keep in mind, these are um, RNAs which are made by the mother and deposited in the egg. Um, so in a PGC mutant, uh, this means an, uh, where PGC's, maternal PGC RNA is lacking, what you can see here is you can now see the active polymerase also in the germ cell nuclei. So the cells form in this case, but the nuclei are now transcribing, um, can transcribe. And you can see also here where now SLAM RNA is transcribed in these nuclei. And what happens is that the germ cells uh, do not develop well, and they do express somatic genes and sometimes even uh, participate in some of the somatic tissues. So uh, transcription is obviously an involved process, and this is just a brief summary, um, but it is kind of curious uh, that the step that is regulated is not the initiation of transcription or um, the in initial uh, process of transcription, but it is really elongation um, that is inhibited in uh, many cases of transcriptional silencing. And uh, this is, uh, can lead then to pausing of transcription. And in this case, uh, the two kinases which um, deposit this particular phosphorylation si signal um, onto the C-terminal tail of POL2, of the polymerase, which is absolutely required for elongation, um, is blocked. The access of these kinases is blocked by PGC, and so um, they cannot uh, deposit this active signal. And so this is the critical stage. And what is very interesting is it has been observed in other organisms. Here's just an example from C. elegans where you see transcription in three of the nuclei of the early embryo, but not in the fourth. These three will give rise to somatic tissues. This cell will continue to divide and uh, eventually give rise to the germline tissue. And again, here, it is a different gene called PI1, which is also somehow interfering with the uh, phosphorylation of the serin-2 residues in the C-terminal tail of POL2. So using an antibody to those um, uh, residues, which I showed you, that was the red staining in the earlier slides, um, it's now been shown for a number of other organisms, like Xenopus and also in Ascidians, that there's the same is occurring during early um, uh, onset of, uh, of uh, germ cell specification. So this is a very um, crude mechanism, in a way, um, to defend the germ cells from developing according to any of the somatic um, signals. And you can see also how this type of mechanism can work both in organisms where you have a germplasm that's inherited or if there's an inductive mechanism. And so what I showed you is that um, uh, in the germ granules, you have these effector RNAs. And I told you about the germ cell program that requires these effector RNAs. And I was telling you about two of these effector RNAs, PGC, which blocks transcription um, of, uh, in the germ cells, and then germ cellless, which degrades the um, a specific protein, which could affect somatic signaling in the germ cells.
And so um, to take home from uh, what I was telling you is that uh, germ cells first form by an unconventional cell constriction mechanism in Drosophila. Um, that, um, uh, and then that Drosophila has two mechanisms of avoiding um, somatic differentiation and thereby uh, protecting its uh, totipotency. And one is by degrading the somatic signaling pathway and the other one is by blocking transcription. And uh, degradation is a very fast mechanism to get rid of uh, uh, components. And uh, blocking transcription, of course, is a very efficient mechanism. So these are the two ways of how um, the germ cells counteract uh, somatic signals. And uh, it is interesting to think um, about uh, how germ cells are specified and what are the special mechanisms of germ cell specification. And we do know that, uh, in a way, blocking somatic differentiation is probably the most important part for the early germ cells uh, uh, that they have to do to maintain their totipotent fate. And with that, I want to thank the people in my lab, uh, uh, Julie Pei, who uh, uh, did much of the work that I was telling you about, about the biochemistry and the function of germ cell lists. Um, Ryan, who told us how the germ cells actually form in flies. Alexei Arkov identified the germ cell list alleles in our lab. And we had a great collaboration with Michele Pagano and Antonio Marzio, um, who uh, studied degradation pathways um, uh, to develop this study. Uh, and uh, I want to send our microscopy and proteomics facility and other people in the lab who have contributed greatly to our understanding, especially of the transcriptional control and obviously our funding uh, bodies. And thank you so much for your attention. <laughs>